0: Uh, This is gonna be a very different kind of message for me. And I just have to be honest with you in telling you I have wrestled with the Lord all weekend long about saying these things. (sighs) I've really asked him if I could speak about something else. And I just feel that the Spirit has continually led me uh, to what we're gonna talk about today. I wanted to begin a new series, which we will begin next week, (laughs) the Lord willing, Uh, on the book of Acts. And I'm really very excited about it. We're not gonna go through verse by verse because we'll be there for four years if we did that. But we are gonna look at at the book of Acts. And most people think it's the Acts of the Apostles, but it's it's really the Acts of Jesus, the risen King and his spirit. But uh, I digress. (laughs) See, I'm still trying not to speak what I'm gonna talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I felt the Lord has led me to speak about uh, the overturning, overturning of Roe v. Wade. And for the past um, few days, I have felt some very intense feelings, and you probably have too. Um, first and foremost, I have felt a deep gratitude to the Lord that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I'm grateful to the Lord. I'm grateful to those that have labored tirelessly and mostly those who have prayed and interceded and made a difference in people's lives uh, who have been going through a difficult time in their life oftentimes with an unwanted pregnancy. I'm grateful for those that chose life in these last 50 years. I'm grateful for those that didn't and the Lord restored and healed and saved them. I'm grateful for so much and I'm grateful to the Lord. Until last Friday, abortion was protected in our nation by the court's overreaching and erroneous 1973 ruling. But most Christians have always understood during this time period that abortion and the ending of a life in the womb is contrary to God's word. Life as we see it from scripture and the word that he's spoken to us begins at conception. But in fact, who we are Begins even before that. Before we're even formed in our womb, God knows us. Now, this is a mystery I can't fully explain, uh, which makes it a mystery. (laughs) Um, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What? There's something going on that we don't fully understand. And there's a knowing that though we didn't know we were being known, he knew us. Poof! my goodness. You know, that kind of God is fully capable of taking care of us to the very end. The psalmist uh, King David said of God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God knows us before we're formed in our mother's womb. Before we could know him, he knew us. And he knew, he knew why we were formed, what purpose he had for us. He said to Jeremiah back in that other verse, uh, before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. To, I, I gave you away as a prophet to the nations. The Bible teaches that every person, whether in or out of the womb, is made in the image of God and has inherent dignity and value. And while the Bible also guides us in how we are to treat others who disagree with us, Uh, As the church, we have no choice but to let God's word shape the way that we engage culture on these issues of life and dignity. God's word is what guides us as his followers in all areas, on issues of life and dignity and on issues of compassion, grace, mercy, and love towards our neighbors. I'm grateful for a Supreme Court ruling, it will help protect more unborn children, at least in half of the states of our country. Now, that fight is not over. But I also feel sadness over the very bitter divide that's in our nation. So many people see this issue and others differently, so differently. And, and I realize that nothing's new, but it does seem to me that there is more rancor and more ugliness and even threats that are being issued today. And by the way, those kinds of attitudes have happened on both sides. And that's sad. I've watched those that claim to be Christian use the same tactics of rancor, ugliness, and threats to get their way, and that is not Christ-like. I have to admit that I also feel a little bit surprised. So I felt rejoicing, I felt sadness, and I felt surprised. You'll remember me saying a few years ago, I wasn't sure we would ever see the turn, overturning of Roe until people's hearts were changed. And I was wrong. Roe has been overturned. But I was right in that hearts need to be changed. Because laws are ineffective in bringing about salvation. We won't bring about the goals of the kingdom by using tools of an empire. You can't affect spiritual change at the ballot box or by electing certain politicians or by enacting laws. We desperately need a spiritual awakening in our nation. We need the Holy Spirit to fall upon us we need, as Second Chronicles 7.14 says, to be his people who are called by his name, who will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, not the wicked ways of those that are around us, our wicked ways. And the word says, then he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. That's what we need. I'm glad Roe has been overturned but that's not what I've been pursuing this whole time. I'm glad, but what I want is to see revival and reformation and the power of God fall upon our nation. What I shouldn't feel today, and I hope that I don't, and I hope you don't either, is a desire to gloat as if our team just won the Super Bowl. Um, Abortion and the complex issues surrounding it have never been a game To win or lose. It's just not that. As Scotty Smith, a pastor in Tennessee said, now isn't the time to buy a bag of popcorn, sit down and watch for the next Supreme Court decision. It's a time for faith expressing itself in love and grace being revealed through servanthood. That's the time we live in. You know, in the wake of this decision, we need to remember as God's people, as the church, a few things. First, there are going to be scores of women with unexpected pregnancies who don't know where to turn now in their moment of crisis. If we're gloating over a legal victory, we've missed the point and we will miss our true purpose, which is to reflect God's love and truth for the sake of his glory. We're to reflect his love and his truth for the sake of his glory. Our ultimate goal is not simply to save an unborn child, though that's an amazing thing and should be done. Our ultimate goal is to care for people in such a way that it leads them to know the one who can save their souls. That's what we've been commissioned to do. We also need to recognize that abortion is not just an issue that's out there. It's in the American churches as well. Recent studies have shown that 70% of women who've had an abortion claim also to be a Christian. 70%. And 43% attended church at least monthly at the time of their first abortion. That's almost half. Going to church on a regular basis. So as the church, we've got to do something better. We've got to make some changes in the way we approach these things. And condemnation and picketing are not enough. In fact, I would say, Neither are very effective. I know condemnation isn't. I don't even know that picketing is. I'm not trying to belittle anyone in their approach to these matters, but I'm looking for hearts to change, not laws to change. I'm looking for people to meet Jesus and then following him brings life that's more abundant and then they can not only share in the fellowship of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering. Maybe you're sitting here today and at one point or another, maybe even recently, you've considered abortion. Or maybe you have had an abortion or been party to having had someone have an abortion. Because you saw no way out and because it seemed hopeless and because the condemnation and guilt was too much to bear and it seemed like the easy fix for the solution. I want you to know if that's you, any of you sitting here today or anybody that's listening to me, there is a way found in Jesus. Jesus is the way. And he has come to bring healing and restoration. He has not come to judge We see it over and over in his ministry. The woman caught in adultery, dragged before him, thrown into the dirt. They're ready to stone her per Mosaic law. And they say to him, she's been caught in adultery. And they're trying to trick him and trap him. And all he does is say, great. He who is without sin, pick up the stone and cast it. Throw it. You're right to do so. The Bible says he was kneeling down and writing in the dirt. People don't know what he was writing. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some people think he was writing all their names and their sins. (laughs) Well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? We all come today and all of a sudden on the projector, we see your name and your picture come up on the screen. This week, report card for Bill Conley. Woo. And we just go down the list. I don't know what Jesus was writing in the dirt. Maybe he was doing that. But one by one, the older, because they're wiser, down to the younger, thought, wait, I'm a sinner. And they turned around and walked away. For those that have struggled in these areas that have contemplated it, that have actually done it, my word to you is that there is forgiveness and restoration. There is life found in Jesus, and he can take away the guilt, and he can take away the shame, and he will even use your trauma to help you and to help others. Trust me, I know. One last thing we need to remember about this issue is that women are most often pushed towards abortion because of financial or relational difficulties surrounding having a baby. <clears throat> A lot of times, I remember as a younger person, I would hear things like, well, they shouldn't have got pregnant in the first place. You have to pay the consequences. And I may have even thought that at times myself. But I've read these pages that Jesus is speaking, and I don't ever see him saying that about people who are broken and in need. I see him saying it about religious leaders who think they're perfect, but I don't see him saying about someone who is broken because of their life circumstances and need a savior. We don't have the right to say those things either. In a recent survey of women who have had an abortion, 76%, that's three out of four, said they didn't want to have an abortion. They didn't want to end the life of their unborn baby, but their life circumstances were so overwhelming, they just didn't see any option. Three out of four. It makes you realize that overturning Roe may limit abortions in some places, but it won't change the reality of unplanned pregnancies. It takes the Lord to actually heal a heart to be willing to birth a life. We have to holistically care for people. That's the call that God has put upon his people in this day. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Flip over with me. This is not in my notes. Isaiah 1. Look what we, look what we need to be doing here. Isaiah 1 and verse 17. Actually, let's look at 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, and learn to do good. Seek justice. And that's not just for yourself, that's for others, which I honestly believe those in the pro-life movement that has been most effective are the ones that have done it for the right reasons. Correct oppression. The oppression that was done for the unborn as well as for the mother who finds herself in a really impossible situation. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. And if there is any new modern day widow, it could very well be the unwed mother. I believe that we have to work holistically to help people. That we can't sit and point a finger, wag a finger, carry a sign and smirk at them because they have done something that they felt they had no other option for. I believe that we have got to love them and serve them and work for their good and help address their personal, relational, social, and economic reasons that might push them into aborting their child. I believe that we also need to promote, as citizens in this nation, better policies and even enacting laws that would help parents with small children, help them financially, even the children that would be in a mother's womb. And you can disagree with me on that, and that's fine. I just would like to promote life and not just simply be against abortion. And I want to promote good parenting, and not just be uh, belittling people that can't get their act together. We need to encourage more in the church to become foster parents and to give respite care to those that are giving foster care. And we need to make adoption more affordable in our nation. While Christians are almost three times more likely to adopt than the general public, many more would adopt right now but they can't get through the red tape and they can't overcome their financial hurdles. We need to do something about that as a nation. So what I wanna leave with this this morning, I don't like to make what could be perceived as political sermons. And that's why I didn't wanna say these things today, not because God's word is not true, but because I just don't like to drag politics into things. And I don't like people to misconstrue that that's somehow what we're promoting. I am a servant of God, and I want to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. I mean, I want his kingdom, his will to be done, to come down to earth just like it is in heaven. And that is my goal, even in sharing these things. But how then do we live in this messed up world of ours? Well, here's what I would leave with you that as followers of Jesus in this current culture, there are two distinct postures that we must take. One with one particular population or group of people and one with another. There may be more, but these are two that come to my mind very vividly. Two postures. First, with those who have or are considering an abortion our posture has to be one of compassion, love and hope. And we have to be willing to stand with and support and pray for and even pray when they're not around that God would do something to change their heart. But if we belittle and if we demean and if we castigate that vulnerable person that is in that place It's like picking up a stone and throwing it at them. I think that we need to have Hebrews 4 shape our stance with people. Here's what it says, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus It didn't say he judged us for our weaknesses or that he belittled us because of our weaknesses. It says he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He knows what it feels like to be all alone, facing unwanted circumstances and deeply troubled by what lies ahead. Jesus knows, he knows. He was tempted just as you and I are, but the good news is that he is without sin. And why it's so good is that now, because he has no sin, he's able to deal with our sin. That's why it's so good. As Christians called to love our neighbors as ourselves, it won't help things if while Jesus is sympathizing, we're busy judging Let's be careful in these days. But finally, towards another group of people, those I would call a militant pro-abortion crowd, who are very vocal and vehement. You'll see them on every news channel and social media feed, which I have really tried to avoid this weekend. They'll be leveling vile and hateful attacks And in some cases are planning violence against churches and crisis pregnancy centers. I want to first say to you that the the forces that are behind them, the forces that are driving them are spiritual forces of darkness. They are principalities that are evil and demonically inspired. And the enemy is working his magic as best he can. He is pulling strings and he is riling people up and he wants unrest and he wants them to go to their death believing that this is a right worth fighting for. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against these principalities and spiritual forces of darkness. And we're called to have weapons that God has provided for us for the pulling down of strongholds and things that come against people that are all around us, not just the people of God, but those helpless people that are in need of something from God. Eyes are blinded, ears are stuffed up, they're broken and they're, they're hurting inside and principalities and demonic forces have kept them in darkness, but he has useful people, Satan does, in his hand. And he's got them all riled up right now. And while we do the spiritual warfare in the heavenlies, not against flesh and blood, but against those principalities, we are also called to do what I had, had you turn to in Matthew 5. And this one's a little bit hard for me. Matthew 5 and verse 43. You've heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect i want to encourage us that while we do the spiritual warfare that we should all be called to doing that we're going to have to work on this passage in our lives I get upset when I see people doing irrational things. I get upset at the inconsistencies of many that are are right now, this weekend, protesting and claiming towards violence. But this is what the word says for me to do. To love my enemies. And to pray, to pray, to pray for those who persecute us. In this critical moment, we must love women who have unwanted pregnancies, who feel like abortion is their only hope, or who feel like they just lost all hope, especially when they see people celebrating the ruling that they think is their only hope. We need to love them in a way that shows authenticity and care And Jesus like compassion towards them. And we must love these dads that in many cases are derelict and don't know what they're doing. The dads in these pregnancies also need Jesus. And we must love every person who views abortion differently than we do. And even love and pray for those who are enemies to this stance. As Pastor Smith said that I quoted earlier, it's a time for faith expressing itself in love and grace being revealed through servanthood. We sang this song this morning Christ be magnified in me. I think that pretty much sums up exactly how we are to live in our world today. That Christ would be magnified in our words, in our stances, in our conversations, in our thoughts in our lives, that Christ would be magnified. And that when people look at us, they don't see hate and vitriol. They don't see judgment and scorn. They see Jesus being lifted up and magnified in people who just like them needed a savior. Christ be magnified in us today. Amen. Amen. Now, I gave my wife the chance to not come up and talk after the sermon. She says she's ready, so that's a good thing. Because I said, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But she's going to come. She's going to share what's on her heart, which always helps me. And I know it helps you too. And then we're going to pray for you.
1: There's a passage in Romans that I'm going to, sorry, that I'm going to read out of the message. He says, don't lose track of time and be oblivious to God. Understand the times. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because salvation is near. Yeah. Not just for you. That's right. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and self and put on the armor of light. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. In a word, what I am saying is grow up. Your kingdom citizens now live like it. A few weeks ago, um, my sister was sharing with me some insight that she had into the scripture in Romans that talks about um, how God works everything together for good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And she was saying to me that it's the mental picture there of the actual language the scripture was written in is like kneading dough that he's breaking off his goodness and kneading it into the dough until it spreads throughout and makes it something different than what it was. Hmm. And the reason I think that that's connected to what Chris was sharing with us today is when we come across things in the world that are so cross-cultural to the kingdom of God, to what we feel we've been called into and called to represent— The question for us is, how do we love the Lord and love the person in that moment? Whatever that is, that's always the answer. (laughs) And so, if God is always about working good into something, Mm -hmm. no matter what it started out as, so that he can say he works all things together for good... There shouldn't be anything that we are facing as a society, as a family, as an individual in the workplace, wherever your sphere is, that we can't say to God, help me be a part of you needing goodness into this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, It is time for us to grow up. And being grown up is going to look different than perhaps how we are currently living. That's right. That's what I'm going to pray for.
0: Wow, I'm glad she preached that sermon to me. <laughs> it's time to grow up, Chris. Okay, let's pray.
1: Father, we do hear your call. First to yourself and then to your your purpose, your mission of love and salvation. We do want to grow up into you. The good Father. We want to be faithful ambassadors in the situations we find ourselves in, with friends, with family, with co-workers, with people we bump into because of your sovereign will and providence. Yes, Lord. God, make us aware of how much we are a result of your mercy and grace so that we lead mercy and grace when we're pricked that's and right. not something else That's
0: right.
1: father give us more of your love for the people you love mm-hmm. give us more faith and hope for the hopeless situations so we aren't quick to give up or to blame the people who are hurting because mm-hmm. that feels easier than coming up with answers to impossible situations that's true Father, thank you that your love extends forever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't run out. There is always enough. And that your goodness is the realest thing. More real than circumstances, more real than experience, more real than choices, more real than personalities, and certainly more real than politics. That's right. Help us live in that reality, Father. Help us receive it from you and give it freely and without cost to everyone that we come in contact with that your name might be glorified and your kingdom extended. Yes.
0: Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy towards us. Like Donna said, when someone pricks us, may what comes out of us is grace and mercy. Lord, help us to walk in that in these days, not superiority or judgment, but love, mercy, and grace. I pray for your people today, Lord, it's time to rise. Put aside the the tactics that may have, they may have been useful in the past, but they're really not gonna be effective today in reaching hearts. Help us, Lord, to to walk with you into the places and broken spots, into the broken lives and the ruins that this world has produced and that sin has evidenced. I pray, Lord, that those that are hurting today, for various reasons, maybe they're feeling guilt or shame, maybe they're feeling confusion or hurt, Maybe they're mad. Maybe they're lost. Lord, may your spirit come to anyone that's listening to these words, anyone in our purview and anyone that's in our arena or circle of influence. may May they meet Jesus who is the way, who makes a way, and who produces life and restores all that is good. I pray, Father, that you'll make us a people that have you being magnified in our midst, in our lives, in our families, in our words, actions, and deeds. We commit to you, Lord, because we want to be useful in your hand in these days. We ask these things in your name. Amen.